I want to transition a bit, but I want you to just keep in mind what's going on. That to be a leader, it's good to know what your gifts and callings are and all that sort of stuff, but it's the foundations, it's the settings that really propel things forward. And um, as leaders, our job, our job is to see into the future, to see into sort of other people who they can become, and see what, you know, maybe our tasks should look like. And then as we grow and we develop, as we watch who we are and grow, that will have incredible impact on the other people that have been entrusted to us. We'll be able to impart stuff and you'll be able to develop people so that you can get the job done and people are developed. That's, that's the whole idea. That's why, that's why Paul tells Timothy, I want you to watch your life. Watch how you actually live. Not how you think you live, but how do you actually live? And some of you might be pleasantly surprised. You go, I'm not so good here, but I do have integrity. You know, just, just take stock on how you live. And if you're married and you and your wife are on speaking terms, you know, mutually respectful, believe me, your, your spouse can have some much-needed input because we have blind, blind spots. And if your spouse won't talk to you, Mike will. He'll tell you everything wrong with you. No, that's not everything. Anyway, um, it's good to see how we actually relate to certain things. Now we're getting to some real foundational things. How we relate to people. Listen. How we relate to people is, is a reflection of how we relate to God. That sounds very strong. But in 1 John, we're told that if you say you love God but hate people, um, well, you're not telling the truth. Um, we love because he first loved us. There's some, there's how we actually relate to people will be a reflection of how we actually relate to God. Just as some examples. If you say, I'm here to obey God, no matter what, you, know, you and me, God, I'll do whatever you want. And if you, So you say you're under God's authority, but the authorities that have been set in your life, you go, excuse me, I ain't going to do what you're, you know, it's just me and God. How you actually relate to God's authority will be expressed in how you relate to the imperfect authorities. By the way, Sunday school tomorrow, I'm going to talk about that. Won't that be fun? What a great way to start your day. We'll probably have about three people here tomorrow. <laughs> but the thing about people is when we lead, we don't lead programs, we lead people. And that's the real context, and that's the real crucible of leadership development. We're dealing with people. When we lead, we're doing it in the context, but also the crucible. And by crucible, have you ever known, I've, I've already mentioned this, people are broken. People are messed up, or at the very least, people are way different than us. If they'd only be more like us, we'd get more, do more done, right? Is that how we think? Guys are always doing that. And I'm one of them. I go, honey, if you just agree with me, things will be fine. Anyway, power of agreement, honey. Just agree with me. Have you noticed that people are difficult? Have you noticed that people are hard to work with? People are hard to work for. Um, 
people are hard to live with. Um, have you ever noticed that hurt people hurt people? Yeah, hurt people hurt people. And so here we are. Let's go lead people. I'm just going to I'm just going to talk, talk through some scriptures I already know. And only, how you interact with these scriptures, that, that's what I'd like to have happen. Not necessarily now, but later. But this love thing is such a big deal. And one of the marks of maturity is to love people the way Jesus loves us. Jesus doesn't go, there, there, there. You're setting fire to your children, but I love you. You know, you're not doing that. No, God, God's not an enabler. You know, he doesn't wink at our screw-ups. I mean, when he disciplines us, it's out of love. When he stretches us, it's out of love. When he allows people in our life that we go, oh, surely this person is a reminder of my past sins. It's all love. Everything that God does is love. And everything he does is redemptive. Everything is with an eye to accomplishing God's plans and purpose for our life. That's what he does. To, to actually grow in love, you can't grow in love in isolation from people. I wish it were true. I wish I could just read all of it and go, yeah, I know how to love. I can teach on love. The crucible of learning how to, to lead lovingly in a Christ-like way. The crucible is people. Um, so I'm just going to read in 1 Corinthians 13. This, you can do this maybe as a, like a monthly devotional. Try this once. Take the word love out of it and put the personal pronoun I. And just see how you're doing. Um, I am patient. I am kind. I, I, I don't envy. I don't boast. I'm not proud. <laughs> I don't dishonor others. I'm not self-seeking. I'm not easily angered. I keep no record of wrongs. Now listen, I don't think anybody here can pass all that. Well, I mean, you can actually pass all that, but you'll be in heaven. Okay? If you go, wow, I pass all that, you're in heaven. Okay? But in leading people, haven't you noticed that working with people, whether it's spouse or children or coworkers or whatever, God creates opportunities for us to be impatient, Sometimes, look, I'm not, I'll never be impatient around people who always meet my expectations. Right? That's right. Or, I'm not easily angered so long as nobody gets near my hot spots. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes we know what our hot spots are, but we don't let anybody get near it, Right? And then God just sort of engineers people to go, mm, gotcha, and then you're off. And then we go, you made me mad, right? Have you ever noticed that that's not true? Nobody ever makes us mad. Nobody. If you read James, it says, what causes fights amongst you? Is it not the desires that are at war in your own heart? So look, if I got a war in my own heart and someone you know, an unresolved issue, a wound, a bitterness, or I'm prideful and I just want to get my own way and I'm frustrated. 
God, I'm telling you, He will send someone to, to find that area and go, boop! And you go, you made me mad. I'm telling you, as soon as I go, you made me mad. They really may be irritating people. But I go, I do this. I go, Lord, thank you. Thank you for using this unfortunate circumstance to reveal an area that I need to surrender to you. It's an ongoing thing. Okay? Um, We serve one another better from a heart of love. I mean, it's great to have a you ever had a really hard coach but you know he would die for you you know he would die for you um even people who are hard drivers when they when you know i have your best interests and you just need to be driven there's something about when we're led by people who genuinely love for us they they don't want to just use us to accomplish a thing but they actually care about us. Some of the best employers, the employees of the, some of the best companies, high standards got to get a lot done. But you know something? They know that their bosses, even though they have high standards, and you, you know you got to produce, they know that their bosses care for them. They they give them you know pay packages that are you know, uh, or, or, or benefits that it's not. It's not that they're entitled to it, but it makes their life so much better. When, when, when you have a boss who says, look, this is what I want done. This is unacceptable, but I believe in you. How about l- let's start working together. When you have a boss like that, you go, I mean, you could be lazy and try to take advantage of it, but if you really want to do a good job and you have a boss that believes in you, believes more for you than you believe for yourself, that kind of loving thing. It's amazing how much you want to go forward. Isn't that true? Um, and, you know, Jesus even commands this in, in, in John 13. Love one another. As I have loved you, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Seriously, this sometimes I get so irritated people, I jump on them and I get all mad. But you know what corrects me? If I go, wait a second. How has Jesus loved me? And, and usually what other people have done is not nearly as bad as what I've done, right? And God, look, I loved you here. I didn't let you get away with it, but, you know, I encouraged you here. I didn't smash you. But, oh. There's something about just taking the time to say, how has Jesus really loved me? When, you, when that hits you, it's amazing how much more easy it is to love other people, especially when they're imperfect. Um, there's another, by this, everyone will know you are my disciples. I think it's really interesting. Loving one another is not just the Christian thing to do. It's a foundational aspect of the Great Commission. It says here that if we love one another, lead one another, love one another as Jesus has loved us, then they will know we are who we say we are. Isn't that interesting? Do you, re- do you realize... There are people I'd really like to get into a fight with because I know I'm right and they're wrong. <laughs> no, really. Or at the very least, they're not nearly as right as they think they are. And, and they irritate me. They're not respecting me. Now, I'm not a weak man, but sometimes I go, you know, I'm not going to stuff this, but I'm going to overlook it. Why? If 
I don't want to let this petty thing get in the way of the big thing. I'm going to overlook it and just let it go. Not just so we can get along, but if I do that, somehow, someway, other people will know I'm who I say I am. It's a weird thing. In 1 John chapter 4, we love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. See, how we relate to other people is a reflection of how we relate to God. And if you say you love God, but you, 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 you harbor bitterness, there's a disconnect. And, and seriously, to be a good leader, bitter leaders produce bitter followers. Just is. Um, so I'm always trying to say, God, do I have any bitterness? I want to weed my garden. Not so that I can just be free, but when I don't have the weeds of bitterness in me, there's less in me that will defile others. Just saying. Um, and also for us to see clearly on how to walk out our calling and follow God, getting rid of bitterness and loving people and forgiving people, it's crucial. Watch this. Anyone who claims to be in the light but hates his brother or sister is still in the darkness. I mean, if you just really think about it, have you ever been so, so mad you just can't see straight? You can't see other things? Have, have you ever like, had your spouse, they do something, you go, oh, again, right? And it's true, they did it again. But what about all the incredible, fantastic things that they do? They're incredible and they're talented, they're loving, they're sweet, they're funny. But this thing, when, when you can't forgive that thing, that's all you see. You don't see. You're walking in darkness. Anyone who loves a brother and sister, they live in the light and there's nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates his brother or sister is in the darkness and they walk around in the darkness. Watch this. They do not know where they are going. Now I'm not saying this is always true, but when I do a lot of counseling, people go, I'm so frustrated. I don't know why I'm here on planet Earth. I've been a Christian for 15 years. I just don't know what my calling or gifting. And you know, they're genuine about it. They really want to know it. And I'd say 50% of the time, say, well, before we move on, let's ask the Holy Spirit, is there anybody you need to forgive? Because sometimes we don't know where we're going, but because we carry bitterness. Now this is so very crucial to leading other people. So very, if, if I know that for me to move forward, I need to keep my slate clean, one of the things we can do when we're developing other people, we can help them have a clean slate, especially in church. So this love thing's a big deal. And um, I want to add something in here about people that's not in there. Many people look for to lead. They go, okay, I want to get into a group or I want to get in a ministry where I know I can hit the ground running. Sometimes God will throw you a bone and let you do that. But you know what God usually does? He'll throw you into a situation where you're sort of over your head and you're stretched, where you actually have to depend on God. That actually is a good place to be. Isn't that true? 
right? Every, yeah, we set her in last year. Isn't that really great? And yeah, she's got these giftings. She can do anything. But as soon as we set her in, I can guarantee, we have not talked, I guarantee you went, what have I gotten myself into? Now, I mean, oh, I'm stretched. I can't do it. Oh, was it a mistake? I'm sure you had that, right? And God loves to put us in that position. Look throughout Scripture. Look at Moses. God tells Moses, look, I want you to go to the Pharaoh, right? And let my people go. And Pharaoh goes, oh, bricks without straw, baby. And then he goes back. And he goes, guess what? I'm so successful in my ministry. I've pleaded with the Pharaoh, and he's actually made our job worse, right? I'm sure Moses said, maybe I misheard God. Many times, God will put us in situations where we're stretched and we actually have to depend more on God. That's always a great place to be. Always. Children are great opportunities to depend more on God. Anyway, that makes sense? How we relate to people. Then, how do we actually relate? Just watch. How do we actually relate to the work and the person of Jesus Christ? Now, this sounds almost cliche, but this is the big deal. I'll say something. Devotion to and dependence on Jesus really is the place where the human heart is most satisfied. It doesn't mean you're a monk. It's, oh, it always just means Jesus. I'll just do devotionals all day long. But there's something about when in reality... Jesus is more than our life preserver. In reality, when Jesus is more than a valuable resource in time of need, and he is all those things, but when he really is the center of what we do, um, doesn't make us more religious. It actually makes us more effective. just does. Now, I'm going I'm to sound pastoral, but why not? I'm the pastor of leadership development. I can do the pastoral thing now, Mike, without guilt. There's something about devotions. And I'm, I'm not talking about some religious thing, but spending daily time with Jesus, praying, you know, and, and reading your Bible, just cutting out time. I'm telling you, when that relationship is cultivated, Everything else flows out of that. I'm telling you. And you go, well, I just don't have the time. And have, you, have you ever been part of a business where you say, look, we're going to try to be more efficient, and whatever you do while you're on the job, be honest about it. Write down what you do and how long it takes. Anybody ever done that? That is just like, <laughs> right? But when you look at it, you go, dang, I'm wasting time. You know, Man, I spent 12 minutes at the water cooler. You know, stuff like that. And when people, just, just look at your actual, watch how you actually live. And uh, just look at what you do. I just don't have time for devotions. But you know, when I get home, I absolutely have to watch ESPN. Okay, now I'm not going to get religious and say ESPN is from the devil. Remember, ESPN Classic will be in heaven. But, <laughs> but there's something about, look, you invest into the things that you really hold valuable. What, what is really valuable to you, I don't want to, 
I really don't want to hear what you say. I'd rather see what you do. Oh, honey, you're the most important thing in the world. But, you know, how much valuable real time do you spend with your honey? You know, Hi, honey, it's so good to be with you. You know, let's watch a movie together. And then you want to really show that you love your wife? Just go, what movie would you like to watch? Really? Some, some of you would be surprised. Your wife would go, Braveheart. Let's watch Braveheart. Blood. <laughs> <laughs> and you, being the more sensitive guy, going, oh, I hope we we're going to watch Sleepless in Seattle. You know? <laughs> but no, but you get the idea. There's something. What are your devotions? Really? Um, there's a scripture that I wrote down that's not in your notes. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3. This is Paul saying, I'm afraid that somehow your minds might be led astray from your sincere, pure devotion to Christ. Listen. It's a struggle for us all. It is. But it's a, you know, and it's not a religious duty, but it's a way just to keep your relationship fresh with Jesus. And I, I can't tell you, over time, keeping your real relationship fresh with Jesus, reading the Bible, praying, just stop and go, Lord, I love you. You know, something like that. Or when you're running, listening to worship music, and you're just yelling in tongues as people go, oh, look, someone from Afghanistan. You know? <laughs> but there's, there's all this, there's a devotion that you can carry around with Jesus without being like a, a weird religious freak. Um, but how do you relate to the, the, the work and the person of Jesus Christ? Look at Isaiah 26.3. How many of you struggle with keeping your peace? I mean, you're doing fine, but peace is sort of a, sort of a valuable commodity, almost like a rare treasure. Because basically your soul is anxious, you got a whole bunch to do, you feel like a failure, go, 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 or you know, nothing. It says here, not either this is true or it's not. It takes a while for, for God to weave this into our lives. It says, um, you keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. This is something that over time, it's amazing. In the, in the worst storms, you can keep your peace. You know, yeah, this is hard. Ooh, this is painful. I don't know what to do, but Jesus. And it's, just, it's really strange. Or, God, I failed. Jesus. Or if you're leading someone, serious, one of the best things, you, especially in a church context, you can't do it in some, some businesses, someone screws up and you go, hey look, before we talk about where you screwed up or all this sort of stuff, but, um, why don't we bring Jesus in? Well, brother, I love you. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would come give me wisdom and give us a relationship so that we can take next steps so my brother can grow. So we can learn from this and not be held back by it. You know, there's something about bringing Jesus into the situation. Have you ever had a discussion, intense negotiation with your wife? And you go, honey, this thing's going to es escalate. Either we're going to fight or I'm going to get so upset, I'm going to isolate myself. I'm going to go myself in my, in, my, in my little, I almost said bat cave, my man cave, and go there and I'm going to withhold love and I'm going to sulk and maybe when I come back we won't fight. We could go through this again or I can say, look, I love you so much, I do not want to have this kind of thing. Could we just chill just for a second and when we come back to talk about it, before we talk about it, 
Can we pray? Can we invite Jesus in? Now, after you pick your wife up off the floor, right? Or she goes, you're just trying to manipulate. No, honey, really, I love you so much. You know, that, that weird, sir, I don't want to do that any, anymore. I don't want to retreat from you, and I don't want to fight with you. Can we just sort of chill right now, give it 10 minutes, let's pray, and I, I want to work this out with you. Try doing that. That's great leadership, by the way. That's great leadership. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4. Now, this is absolutely, sometimes I don't believe it, but I know it's true. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. This is, this is so amazing. Whatever you need for how to live the way God wants you to live, and, and whatever you need comes through your relationship with him. I wish it were the case. I mean, just sometimes I get mad at my, my spouse, which makes no sense. I still can't believe Jesus died for her. Just, she's that sweet. But when I go, oh, she's not given, this is not right. <clears throat> I'm often reminded of the scripture. What I, whatever I really need, it comes through my relationship with Jesus. This is so weird. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and everything you need will be added to you. Have you noticed, have you noticed that having our needs met is always indirect? When we look to people as being the primary source of having our needs met, eventually they will disappoint you. Just like when people look to you and go, please love me unconditionally, do everything right. Yeah. You're going to disappoint them. Could you imagine just over time, everything I really need comes through my relationship with the real Jesus. And I'm not just talking about inner peace. It could be provision. It could be vision. It could be calm. Seriously, there are many people who go, I have an idea of what my life should look like. And I'm going to enlist God to help me do it. When God says, you know, I created you. Everything you need for life, including vision, a sense of purpose and identity, that actually comes from me. So, I don't want to sound too preachy, but really, this Jesus guy, he's got this attitude. He's convinced he's God. And he really loves us. And the more we depend on that, guess what happens? We grow and our impact on others grows in the same way. Um, I don't think you have the scripture. Maybe you do. In Hosea chapter 14, verse, five, verse 8, it says, your fruitfulness comes from me. That's a killer. Um, I think it's also in John 15, where it says, if you abide in me, right, I'll abide in you, and you can, he, he says, you can do nothing really worthwhile. You can do nothing without me. The fruitfulness that we have actually comes through just ongoing relationship with the real Jesus. That's what makes Christian leadership different than any other kind of leadership. So how do we actually relate to people? 
How do we actually relate to Jesus? How do we actually relate to the Holy Spirit? Whoa, I know we're a charismatic church, but this one is actually sort of, oh, I don't know about this. Um, Let me set the stage here, and I'll, I'll be relatively brief. When Paul looked, you know, examined the Corinthian church, he wrote at least two letters, two letters that actually made it into, uh, into the Bible. And what he did is he basically reviewed their life, he, their church life, and, he, and he, he said, wow, you got the gifts, that's good. You got a lot of knowledge, that's good. You guys aren't getting along, not so good. You're allow, allowing some things to go on, that's really bad. And he said, yeah, you got the gifts, but you're using them improperly. Or you got the gifts, but you don't have love. And he just really went through, you know, just, and he wasn't doing it like some quality control freak. He was doing it from a, from a father's perspective. Jesus died for you, he loves you, you got a lot going for you. But there's some things that are amiss, and I want to I wanna show you these things. I want to correct you so that you can grow and mature. Now, m- most of us don't like to be corrected. We just really don't. and Because it, it usually touches either our pride or our insecurities or our woundedness. But I won't go into that. But there's something about Paul sh- shows all the good, the bad, and the ugly. And then he ends the second um, letter with a prayer. Now, usually when we look at some of the prayers of Paul, especially at the end, we look at them as like how we end the letters, you know, uh, to, to people we love. Well, you know, hope to hear back from you soon. Love and kisses, Ben. Right? And some people could look at this prayer that Paul has at the end of this letter as one of those, hey man, just love you. But actually, Paul is praying in a foundational solution to all the things that he had pointed out as needing improvement. I'll read it, 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That is a very interesting prayer. Brother, if I go to you and I go, excuse me, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be upon you, go, okay, nice general prayer, thank you. I can take grace. Or if I go, Brother, may, <clears throat> may the love of God be with you. You go, okay, that's sort of like a Barney prayer, but I like more love. You know what Barney prayers are. God loves you. Anyway, sorry. Barney's not a Christian. And for some of you, I just want to let you know, Barney's not real. Uh, <laughs> but if I were to go to you and go, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. You'd go, that's a weird prayer. People don't pray that. God, give them grace, give them love, and may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. Now I'm going to say something. I'm not going to teach on the Holy Spirit, but when you think about anything that God has for us, our knowledge that we were saved, our knowledge that Jesus is the only God, even conviction of sin, being equipped, given spiritual gifts, even knowing who Jesus really is, all comes through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You, you can't even 
It's the Holy Spirit's job to make Jesus, who He is and what He's done, real to us. As a matter of fact, you can't experience the love of God. You really can't experience the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Paul's sitting there looking at all this problem. He goes, I can give you a whole bunch of practical how-tos, and I probably will eventually do that, but foundations are so important. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, you need enablement, and may the love of God, you need to do it, go forward from a place of security and love. And may the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The Holy Spirit is like a mediator. And if we're not relating well with the Holy Spirit, it gets in the way of a whole bunch of things. Like if you depend on yourselves more than the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll get burned out. There are some things in Scripture that we need to watch because they actually get in the way of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, if you look in Acts chapter 5, you don't have to right now. Ananias and Sapphira. Um, they lied. And then they died. And uh, I don't know how God used that to grow the church, but he did. But here's what's interesting. Peter said, how could you lie to the Holy Spirit? Or how could you agree to test the Holy Spirit? Isn't that interesting? Now, when, when, it's interesting when, when we lie to other people, we're actually lying to the Holy Spirit. That's what happened there. Or, you know, when you, when you test, you know how little kids test? You know, Johnny, don't do that. Johnny, don't do that. Johnny, if you do that, you're going to spank him. Johnny, don't do that. And here's Johnny going. Right? And what's, what's Johnny doing? He's testing you. So when, 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 Paul, uh, when Peter said, uh, Sapphira, how could you agree to test the Holy Spirit? He was saying, you've been doing this for a while. You've been doing this for a while. And, you know, I'm not saying you're going to get killed, you know, in a church service. What would that be like? God's moving, great building fund. You bring money up front, and, so, and two people lie and die in the service, right? The cops come. They go, Mike, what happened? You know, look, we have, we have it recorded. I just asked them a couple questions. They lied and they died. God killed them. It's on video. How's that, what's that going to look like in the paper? Anyway, we can quench the Holy Spirit. Um, if you look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 19 through 20, um, we can quench the Holy Spirit, we can put out the Holy Spirit's fire, and one of the ways we can do it is to despise prophetic utterances. I'm telling you, this is a great church, that when, when, when prophetic words come, um, they're recorded, they're examined. Um, the word despise there means to actually accord it very little value. When God tells us to judge prophecy, He doesn't say only judge good prophecy. He doesn't say only judge prophecy that you're in agreement with. He says, anybody who prophesies, go, okay, thank you so much for ministering to me. Let's examine this. 
to take it seriously enough to examine it. This is one of the best churches, seriously, on taking prophecy seriously. Not being led by prophecy, but by examining prophecy and, and, and taking steps of action when it's confirmed it really is the Lord. So, and Mike's got a, a library of all your prophecies. He knows everything about it. No. Uh, you can grieve the whole Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Well, in Ephesians 4, it says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, fighting, slander, and malice. Now, the Holy Spirit is not overly sensitive, but you know, it's hard to be led by the Holy Spirit when you're carrying around malice or anger or you're fighting. You have bitterness and all that sort of stuff. That's because we want everything that God has for us. The Holy Spirit's there to enable us. And if we get bitter, anger, unforgiveness, guess what? He doesn't leave us, but he just steps back just a little bit. Guys, you know what I'm talking about. Your wife loves you. She believes in you. You can't believe that she knows you and still loves you. All this sort of stuff. But you have one of those cranky days. And guess what happens? She doesn't get mad at you. She doesn't throw anything. But you know. And she's still in the same house with you. Still smiling. right? But you know emotionally she's pulled back. Just sort of closed up. Is she there? Yeah. You're going to have co- communication. Yeah. But, and and sh- she only opens up after you go, honey, I was a cranky jerk. I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And something happens. She opens up again, and you're close. Isn't that weird? Same thing with the Holy Spirit. I'm not saying your wife is the Holy Spirit. Ladies, don't take that one and run with it. I'm just like the Holy Spirit to you. Don't do that. (laughs) Here's another thing. If you look in Acts chapter 7, verse 51, um, we can resist the Holy Spirit. The Pharisees, they had a love for God, but they really didn't lo- know God. But their main thing is they're, they were into traditions. They were into certain ways of doing things that they were familiar with. And this guy is preaching a new, very challenging way to do this God thing. And they were mad at this guy for saying, you know, change. What you're doing, there's nothing necessarily wrong with it, but there's a personal relationship with the real Jesus. It wasn't just about Jesus. It was about change. Listen, I'm telling you, when it comes to leadership, as leaders, what's our job? To be change agents. You know, not to lord it over people, but change agents. To help develop people so they can be transformed, so you can get stuff done, to produce things that weren't there before, all that sort of stuff, change agents. And when we resist change, it's hard for us to produce change agents people are willing to change we don't want to resist we want to examine change but we don't want to resist change because it's changed okay um so the fellowship of the holy spirit is like an everyday type of thing and as and if you don't know how to have fellowship with the holy spirit say holy spirit i don't know how to have a relationship with you but would you please teach me isn't that easy how do you get the Holy Spirit to teach you to have, have fellowship with Him? Ephesians chapter 5. We are commanded, all Christians are commanded, all Christians are commanded to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's not a one-time thing. The verb tense there, the best way I think is 
be continually and increasingly filled with the Holy Spirit, or actually better, be continually and increasingly surrendered to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You can do it on a daily basis. Uh, there was a time when every time I woke up, I go, Lord, fill me with the Holy Spirit. I had no visions. I didn't fall down. I didn't go, ho, ho. I didn't have any of that stuff. But I'm telling you, I was more sensitive to what the Holy Spirit was leading me to do during that day. It was just weird. It's weird. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to make a choice, a surrender on a daily basis. Holy Spirit, however you want to minister to me, convict me of sin, equip me, lead me, give me wisdom, and all that sort of, whatever, I'm open to it. I'm not going to determine. <laughs> I love children. We love children. Especially that one. Where was I? Oh yeah, being filled with the Holy Spirit. It is so important on, a, I think, a daily basis to open yourself up to the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And it's, it's amazing how He teaches us. As we're driving to work, you know, oh Lord. And all of a sudden you sense His presence. You start crying. And you know, you have to wipe the tears away as you get out of your car and punch your time clock. Or he convicts you of something, or he gives you hope for something, or he gives you a scripture to, or better yet, oh Lord, please fill me. And God gives you a way to help this person to go from where they are to the next thing in their life, how to lead them. It's just an amazing thing. Um, of course, it does include the spiritual gifts. Seriously? God commands not only for us to be filled with the Holy Spirit, but He commands us not to believe in the spiritual gifts. He commands us to want them. Why? The spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, yeah, especially prophecy is one of the supernatural ways God equips us so we can equip other people. Prophecy is not a weird thing, if you understand it right. Prophecy is having such a relationship with God that when he wants to communicate his heart and his mind, his plans and purposes, even just a little bit to someone so they can be built up so they can grow into who they're called to be, you know, Scripture says we can all prophesy. And, and a lot of it is just old teaching or tradition. Sometimes it's fear. But God's not commanding us to do something that is designed to make us weird. He's commanding us to pursue something that he knows which will equip us to be more effective as leaders. It builds up the church. Yeah, I'm a prophet, right? Or at least people call me one. And I love to prophesy, but I'm serious. I would actually rather be able to teach people and encourage people so that a whole body knows how to communicate the heart and mind of God. I'd love to work myself out of a job. Absolutely. Because if I do that, then I've really done my job. Isn't that true? Don't you do that with kids? What you want to do is equip them, help them mature, discipline them, you know, pay money to help them, and all this sort of stuff so that you can just get them out of the house. No. To equip them so that you no longer have to parent them. Right? 
Because, you know, you release your kids and then you still try to parent them. Your kids, they're going to have problems with that. Or, or, or if your kids don't have problems with that, the spouses of your kids are going to have problems with that. So, I mean, think about it. Our job is to lead, equip, develop our children so that actually we work ourselves out of a job and we get another job. Grandparents. Right, it was a lot easier. A little more expensive. No. Anyway, especially around Christmas time. So I really want to encourage each and every one of you to earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially prophecy, and see how God can integrate those gifts into your sphere of influence. I would love to see parents learn how to find out what God's heart and mind is for their kids. Or, and, I, and I know John does this. I mean, he, but he's so ethereal. He's like in the heavenlies. You know, he just, but he, he really thinks about what's best for the company, what's best for, and he gets God's mind on it. So he's bringing a prophetic gift into the marketplace. And that's one of the reasons that it, he, he's so successful. Not just because he's so handsome. 